we're talking about um, this great big work that we're looking at, um, Fesco's book. Um, anyone who's following us will know that by now. Um, and we are, we've kind of spent a little bit of time in, in church history, which is good, you know, just to lead up to thinking about the more biblical, theological, systematic, theological stuff. And um, finally, we get to the good stuff now, because, I mean, my goodness, there is a lot of, you know, people have said a lot in church history. And, you know, wow, it's just a reminder to me that I can never be a church historian or, a, you know, historical theologian, because at the end of the day, you just get to the text. It's just so fresh, isn't it? I mean, you get to this chapter. This is the highlight chapter for me so far in the book, yeah. without a doubt. Um, this is kind of why everyone reads this book. It, it's it's kind of... Um, and we've said it before, but it's it's almost like an updated Klein without without the hyphens, and it's all you know it's a bit more rounded. It brings yeah, bring... super digested, super accessible. Exactly, yeah. Well packaged and ready to go. Ready to go, and um, it brings in some vast, you know, it just sort of leads up. You know, it brings a little. I mean, the Klein, he doesn't even mention Klein, which probably he should have. I think he does a little bit later, but oh, he does. He gives give, gives one big quote. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, he should have given two. Then that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, it all it all depends on what Klein said. But but um, you know what's what's good about this, and you know, I, I mean, I'll just say up front before we even start looking at this chapter, we're dealing with baptism as new creation, really powerful biblical mm. theological theme. Um, I agree with everything in this chapter, point blank. I just there's nothing I disagree with. I think it's beautiful, you know, um, and I think that's important to say because we've been obviously disagreeing by way of uh, you know all the sorts of historical material. Um, he's doing what Klein does, you know, in uh, By Oath Consigned. He's setting it up in, in a way that, honestly, read By Oath Consigned. The, the, I was just agreeing with him all the way through to that last little point where he creates an extra category for um, for infant baptism. But it's just great to be able to agree all the way. I really enjoy that. I really appreciate that. Yeah. And uh, it just shows how, how much agreement we actually have. I mean, there are some moments where I think, how on earth is he going to pull himself out of what he said here, you know, uh, in terms of setting it up for a Baptistic understanding? But obviously, you know, we know that he'll go kind of the, the Kleinian way in that regard. But we'll get to that later yeah. when he talks about covenant judgment and all that. Now, what was good about this chapter is uh, we're skipping over the church history, the modern theology section. Yes. Oh, Schleimacher. One, <laughs> one of his critiques was that, well, basically all these guys didn't even refer to scripture. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and that, but that was the big flat weakness of all of them. Totally. But now here is the strength of uh, the reformed case for baptism. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, I mean, it was it was worth a read. I don't know if you do read the book, you know, just just give it a quick skim, that, that modern um, theology section. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's anything. If really... you take the Bible seriously and you're Reformed, it's, it's just not going to do it's, anything it's, for you. It's a good, as, as you just said, it's a good showcase of what happens when you just start doing your own thing, you know, and, and obviously yeah. everyone was so influenced by everything else. Um, there was a bit of a stab at pietism there that probably I thought, you know, what was it took a little bit, too much, you know, out of what Baptists say, perhaps. But there is, um, there is, you know, we even agree on that. You know, when you have this overly subjective, pietistic sort of version of baptism, it goes astray and again away yeah. from Scripture. So there is an objectivity, there is a redemptive uh, historical reality that we just have to have front and center, which is why we love this book. So, um, all right, with that in place, I don't know. Anyway, you want to kick it off? Well, I think maybe just to say this: now that we're digging into the Scriptures. Now, in the introduction, uh, Fesco does point out that it's not just the New Testament. It's the Old Testament yeah. and the New Testament, which yeah. give us a full, robust view of uh, baptism. 
Yeah. And maybe some Baptists would feel uncomfortable with that. Right. I'm definitely not. Totally. I think and this they, is they fantastic sh- stuff. I mean, you know, and that's a big proper critique of the Baptists. You know, that's what I, when Baptists look at, at at baptism, they really do mess that up because, and I think a lot of it is just because they want to make sure they're giving priority to the the, the constitutional document of the new covenant for the church, right? So they're obviously looking yeah. there, but that's not that never means that there's no type anti-type relationship or there's no lead up or anticipation or something that informs that that uh, reality. So even if there's not a direct you know, equation between what we're seeing in the Old Testament and and what we're seeing in the New. There is uh, every bit, uh, the, every part of it informs our understanding of, of its depth and its uh, ultimate fulfillment. So you have to look at it. You have to have that lead lead up. Yeah. So um, yeah, no, it's great. I mean, absolutely awesome what he does here. And um, yeah, so basically, he says start with from Genesis one verse two. Hey, don't man. start with Matthew Matthew one. You know? Totally for sure. So uh, what he does, just uh, starting off the chapter, looking at baptism as new creation, is he looks at some of those suggested options, which are more based in archaeology or uh, liberal views, mm. uh, as to where some people think John's baptism was sourced from. Mm-hmm. Um, in the leading into the New Testament, mm-hmm. and uh, he looks at the two options of proselyte baptism and the Qumran ritual washings. Mm-hmm. So, uh, do we want to say anything about the proselyte baptism? I think so. I think you know it's it's a big thing, and um, people often mention it, and it often comes up in the debate. So, you know, I, I like where he lands on it. So, <laughs> I can agree yeah, even definitely. on that. So basically, I mean, he's um, you know, well, especially if we think about the uh, proselyte baptisms to begin with, you know, the big argument there is that you know we are uh, you know we're, there there was something in the Jewish tradition there um, prior to Christianity, but but really all evidence is pointing to the opposite. We're, we're saying probably what happened, uh, and you can go and read the chapter and look at how he proves this, but many people have done this, by the way. It's not just uh, Fesco. I mean, this is quite a... I think I think people are just copying onto this at the end of the day. Um, you know, the proselyte thing probably borrowed from Christianity. Uh, you know, so you really don't... It doesn't factor into any equation of, of continuity for us as we process uh, what, what baptism means from the Old Testament to the New. I don't know if there, yeah. there's anything else you wanted to add there. I just, I mean, uh, just recently I'm, I'm preaching through Luke. Hmm. So, you know... John the Baptist is right at, right there at the beginning of the gospel. Yeah. So thought, well, I'll do some research, pulled out uh, Beasley Murray's book on baptism, oh, yeah. thinking it's going to be awesome. Yeah. And then he's just oh, man. basically very agnostic on this, the, the roots of John's baptism. Okay. And I think that's probably, it seems to me that that seems uh, who Fesco is engaging with as the Baptist voice. Right. Uh, like a very scholarly voice, very New Testament scholarish. Mm. Um, and they're trying to find, it's almost the history of uh, history of religion, schools of thought. Mm, you are trying to find mm. everything in Christianity is borrowed from somewhere. Yep. So let's find out where it's borrowed totally. from. Yeah, exactly. And, Same um, with the, the Qumran thing. Um, yeah, you know, it's, exactly. it's just like they have to, he must have been using it from somewhere. Could, it couldn't have been that something that God told him to do, you know, <laughs> you know, just fresh. It couldn't have been fresh. Or, so, or something that's based on Old Testament stuff. Oh, even, yeah, exactly. Being an yeah. Old Testament prophet. Right, totally. Yeah, no, it has exactly. to have, uh, you know, I looked around one day and thought, what could I do with myself? I must borrow from the ancient Near Eastern stuff, or, or at least uh, not even the ancient Near Eastern, but the stuff going on at that point. Um, so, so Fesco gives you the confidence to know that the Bible gives you a better foundation for the roots of baptism than what New Testament scholarship is presently given. Absolutely. They're going to find some human source, hmm. Qumran or proselyte baptism. But good news, 
the Bible actually gives you what baptism is all about. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, he says, yeah, there, there is no real parallel at the end of the day to John's baptism um, and uh, anything that was discovered in Jewish practice at the time. And so I think that's basically, you know, where he lands and he's got a whole lot of reasons for it. And what was that paper that we uh, dug up the other day? Um, I remember I uh, I went because of that research in Luke I went looking at proselyte baptism mm. to see if who who borrowed from who mm. and I found reference to this guy's paper and you've got access to all the journal articles mm. I don't remember the guy's name but he's uh, from the University of Jerusalem mm. okay yeah and it was quite basically in depth his, it was it was pretty in depth yeah. but his thesis was um, Christianity didn't borrow from proselyte baptism it's vice versa. Mm. Because the uh, proselyte baptism is first mentioned in the second century AD. And so they assume, well, you know, proselyte baptism was being practiced in second century AD. Uh, the Jews would never have borrowed anything from Christianity. Therefore, it's probably the other way around. Mm. And so it's, it's, it's an argument from silence. Mm. And he just shows you that it's, okay. Good. it's well, more likely the other way around. So that would, be, yeah. um, <laughs> that would be helpful for people to look at if they could ever access it and if we could remember <laughs> yeah. what it was. But uh, yeah, no it's, such in, it's in my footnotes in my sermon. I referenced it during my sermon right. thinking I was a great scholar. But there you go. <laughs> well, if, we, uh, <laughs> if we're you know, diligent, maybe, maybe we'll find that and put it on the show notes. But um, you know, just in case you did, I know that is a subject of, of interest to many people. So anyway, um, so we go from that to what thinking about well, let's more look at the old testament, old testament yeah. uh, and, and antecedents for for baptism mm. and uh what what fesco does here is he basically just pulls together every instance of washing and um as a precursor mm -hmm. so you've got the uh, aaron and his sons washing hands and feet before entering the tabernacle mm -hmm. you've got them washing before they adorn priestly garments you've got the washing of the leper in leviticus 15 mm -hmm. Um, and he points out how some might want to say, well, this is just ritual purifications and doesn't really sound like baptism because baptism is all about repentance and forgiveness of sins. Mm. But he does link it with Psalm 51 verse 7 where it talks about, you know, sprinkle me with hyssop mm -hmm. and I'll be clean, mm. showing how the Old Testament Jew did associate ritual cleanliness with cleanliness of the heart mm -hmm. and repentance and forgiveness. And what is ultimately really you know, going to happen in the new covenant um, by way of promise, essentially. So I suppose that's that's uh, how it does link up to where he says the big theme lies, uh, yeah. which is this new covenant slash new creation thing that's been set up by a typology all the way through and uh, through the prophetic words. And of course, as you know, you know, you go through the 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 the, um, the prophets major minor prophets and and it's it's all about it's sort of moving all those uh, types and shadows and ritual cleanliness and all just saying okay we have to wait now for the real thing and that new covenant reality is that new creation reality that the whole Bible has been pointing to and that Definitely. that he links he says that's the most important theme in thinking about baptism so I'm going. Yeah. Amen. You know, that's great. <laughs> exactly. That is just so and he, good. he draws on Ezekiel 36. Yeah. I will sprinkle you with clean water. Right. He draws on Zechariah 13. I will open up a fountain. He, he uses the new covenant language of floods in the desert, mm -hmm. Isaiah 44. Mm -hmm. So ideas of water cleansing and spirit just all tag teaming together. They're all, that's the way they, thoughts. that's the hub. Yeah. Because I like it because, yeah. you know, people do mention Ezekiel, you know, and everyone has, you'll see it in the cross, uh, you know, cross references in your Bible or a footnote or something. And it's always there. It's floating around. But just to speak of it as a new creation 
you know, motif that, that basically leads to baptism explicitly is important. And um, it just it just crystallizes the whole thing. That's so yeah. in my so mind, just, certainly. The way, the way that he pulls it together is he says, look, he, he would point to an overarching unifying theme, sort of a, something pulling it all together, and that's new creation by water and spirit mm-hmm. and baptism speaking. That the, the waters of baptism speaking of that new creation. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's a sort of segue into the New Testament then. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so the New, new, inter, new Testament interpretation of the flood. And, uh, you know, if you were looking for that point of departure where the Bible tells you that baptism is a type, mm-hmm. uh, you start off with 1 Peter 3 verse 21, which clearly says that baptism is, uh, the flood is the anti-type of baptism. There it is. And, uh, you know, he makes the point that this language of type is probably borrowed from Paul, who yep. would have normalized it. Totally. Yeah. And amen. Yeah, you know, for sure. The, Romans the apostles 5. are feeding off, First the, Corinthians yeah, feeding 6, off uh, each 10. other. Yep. Exactly. Yep. And uh, what he does, he segues from 1 Peter to the flood. And then from the flood, what he does, he sort of shows you now, here's, a, here's a, an event, a new creation event. And there are, there are a bunch of events like it in the Old Testament. Mm. Of which, so if baptism, if, if the flood is a type of baptism and the flood is an event like all these other events, then all these other events are also types of baptism. Mm-hmm. And so that's the way he develops it. For sure. So you got to start right in the beginning with Genesis 1 verse 2, 1 verse two. you know, and <laughs> the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And, uh, and, and that idea of watery chaos you know that uh, with the spirit that you know the avian metaphor as Klein yes. always said, and he does actually mention that term with no footnote to Klein. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, you know the the avian metaphor, basically this hovering. You know the bird, the uh, just even that alone, you know, sends you on this whole trip straight to Jesus' baptism. But but you know let, let's um, let's let's just stay you know in that hold beginning back, for hold it back, hold it back. Because <laughs> uh, but it's just um, it's so good to see that, and I love the way um man some, something uh i think it must have been Klein that i was reading this but basically um you know you're thinking uh even in that hovering of of the glory cloud you know this is this is the manifestation of the invisible god in, in the invisible holy spirit you know that that surrounds the the, the that which he has created with the invisible realm of glory, so this is the thing that is now hidden that will ultimately be revealed in the in the Sabbath. But but this is uh, in in the, at least in the you know the new creation when that Sabbath day arrives. But um, you know that that's so central that that creation with the you know it's it's the theme almost. I mean I'm just you know if What's you think the first microcosm pushing forward to the final macrocosm. I mean of if you just think about that rest. that classic you know <laughs> saying the eschatology precedes soteriology. I mean just think I remember when I was preaching through Genesis just like in the second verse of Genesis that is eschatology because that's the whole goal of everything right there that that hovering around that creation you know reaches its sabbath state where it's unveiled and so forth and uh and we know of course the fall happens and it fails and so the whole thing is a new creation but then we must expect that same imagery the whole way through and um and that's what makes it so powerful when you get to baptism i mean just if you have that that up front or in the you know just that anticipation right from the beginning you know you're yeah. you're looking for it almost you're going well how is it going to happen and where is the where is this new creation going to happen and you know where is the hovering going to happen and and it almost acts like this luminescent sort of um highlighter yeah, in your bible the, you know? the mold yes it for, does for, rede- for a creation redemptive event and things that are weird otherwise become so key you know like i, I it really just one of the things that struck me going through this is uh you know 
you think about Jesus' baptism, I mean, a lot of theologies are just very awkward with that. They're just like, oh, and yep, and Jesus kind of got baptized. Pretty weird. Anyways, yeah. whatever. Jesus got baptized and you should get baptized too. Right, right. If he did it, you should do it. And you <laughs> what just... would Jesus do? He would get baptized and so should you. Oh my goodness. That's what it comes down to. And it just, I mean, you think, <laughs> I mean, Jesus is the, the next Genesis 1 verse 2. You know, that, that thing that's happening over there is the new creation. Yeah. So it's just, um, yeah, that's, I mean, just to link that straight to this first verse, pretty amazing. Um, yeah. So obviously there there are lots of things to say about that first verse, um, but that sets the as you say the mold the paradigm, and then you go the the next time you see it. So Genesis eight one. Right. I mean, and and this is amazing too because oh that weird little Sunday school story about you know Noah and the dove and the olive branch and the whole like you know it all becomes like this major major moment you know unclean bird versus the clean. Oh bird. my goodness! And <laughs> and and just the you know you've got the the recreation event there you know the way that I like the way Fesco actually talks about this the way that you know the the waters are released from below and from above and and it's yeah. it's being brought back to its watery chaos and yeah, then exactly. and then you see the spirit the the ruach you know is uh really above the face of the waters again uh, in the wind you know and then the eight That's days right. until the and then you know the altar happens on the eighth uh, on the seventh day and uh <laughs> so yeah no it's profound and, and, and so you can't miss it you know if you've got that first that first um, thing in place, you really can't miss what's going on with Noah, and even just the fact that the the dove, <laughs> you know, brings the the dove as Horton says is the harbinger of, of new creation, you know, um, and, and then you know you're ready to see Jesus and the Holy Spirit like a dove, and it's all the all the things are are, are set for you to understand what happens when Jesus comes. So, yeah. um, the the bat the the flood is of course absolutely mammoth. Um, in the crossing of the Red Sea? Crossing of the Red Sea. That would be another peak. You know, what's probably worth saying is that, you know, these are the big mountain peaks, but there are little things that happen along the way that point to this as well. But let's just Definitely. stick to the big things because obviously this will go completely crazy. <laughs> yeah, otherwise. because we, we can mock the whole Bible for every instance you that really Jordan can. has mentioned. You know, and, you know. <laughs> it, it, honestly, it, it is mind-blowing like that. It's just, um, and so you kind of have to just stay sane and move to the big mountain peaks. But, you know, yeah. just so people know, there, there's, oh, there's just so much to say about this. Um, but the Red Sea crossing is of course massive um and this is dis- and it is referenced as a baptism yes. in 1 corinthians 10 verse 1 to 4 right. so we're not making stuff up no along with the along with the teaching flood. us how to read the old testament right so you got peter referencing the flood and baptism and now you got paul referencing in first corinthians uh the red yep. sea crossing um so that's that's a real deal um the the, the reference is in first corinthians 10 uh, 1 moreover brethren I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank uh, of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And so, you know, as he says, there's a kind of what happened with them, with Moses, is a kind of precursor to what happens with us, with Christ, and the whole thing is linked. And this is where where Fesco picks up on the cloud what is the significance of the the cloud cloud. what does it mean to be under the cloud and baptized into the cloud Mm -hmm. and he shows how uh, when uh, israel was coming out of egypt there was the cloud and there was the angel of the lord Mm -hmm. and the cloud is the holy spirit Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the angel of the lord is the sun and Mm -hmm. so here we see god the trinity acting to redeem Mm -hmm. (laughs) this wonderful event yeah and then he then he builds this biblical theological uh 
you know, pulls out the doctrine of the glory cloud in the scriptures, mm-hmm. showing how the cloud is interpreted to be the spirit in Haggai 2 4, mm-hmm. Isaiah 63, Nehemiah 9, Deuteronomy 32. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's each one of those Klein nested on mm. and <laughs> yeah seriously so <laughs> amazing exegetical work totally right so and there he does have that quote i see what you're saying there um um on what was it uh isaiah 63 yeah uh, and i suppose the whole thing um connects to the sabbath of course which is which is hugely important as well um because the, which connects to the servant of the Lord, which connects to... <laughs> but on this particular, um, you know, the Sabbath and the temple thing, and maybe my mind's yeah. very fresh on this right now because I'm doing uh, some, a deep dive into Genesis 126 leading into Genesis uh, 2 and, and the Sabbath. But but what's happening, you know, with that creation idea is that it's it's all got this very distinct goal. You know, there, there are these uh, six days leading to the seventh, which is the rest, which is the whole goal, which is God seated on his throne. And I'm le- reading a lot of John Walton, actually, uh, and, you know, it's great because he's just going, well, th- this is how we know it's a temple theme because... Really, that's what the, you know, you built a temple and you rested in the temple and the divinity rested in the temple or the deity at least rested in the temple. And, and uh, you know, we just, there's no doubt, there's no doubt that what's happening over here is God's building a creation. It's his temple. Now he's enthroned on it and, you know, enthroned yeah. in, in Sabbath glory. And now he beckons man to, to be with him through this covenant of works, you know, to image him, essentially, to image all that he has done. And so uh, you come to, um, you know, that creation, recreation thing that we just spoke about in the flood, and then you get to, um, you know, them, them going through the Red Sea. It's significant that you have another creation thing going on with the temple building. Yeah. You know, this is, uh, it, it happens over seven speeches, um, and, you know, there's these... these Which parallels the seven days seven of days, creation. And it ends with the Sabbath <laughs> command, you know, so it's just, it's, it's, un, it's unmistakable. You look at it, and there it is. And, uh, but you ask, like, why that typology there? It's not just to blow people's minds for in random ways is to show this idea of recreation so the baptism leads to the temple building leads to the recreation and um and so the spirit who is the cloud and these water events these new creation events is just reaffirming this new the baptismal waters as new creation waters Mm, absolutely i like the he gives these helpful charts as well um day one the heavens are stretched out like a curtain uh, tabernacle, you have the tent in Exodus. Now so we're thinking about Exodus 26 now. Day two, the firmament, and then you've got the temple veil corresponding to that. Day three, the waters below, uh, and then you've got the, temp- the laver or the bronze sea. Uh, day four, the lights, and that's corresponding to the lampstand. Day five, birds, the winged cherubim. Uh, day six, man, Aaron, the high priest. And there's all, I mean, that's amazing. If you ever looked at the the Aaron man thing, I mean, I, Lee Irons actually wrote a paper about this. Um, I think it's called. Well, something to do with Leviticus. If you go Leviticus, Lee Irons on the Google webs, it'll come up. And uh, it's well worth a read because, I mean, Lee really explores this whole, you know, Aaron as a as an Adam figure and obviously anticipating the last Adam. But then day seven, cessation, you know, cessation. It's rest, yeah. blessing, completion. Shekinah cloud Tardy, rests glory cloud. on the temple. Yeah. So, I mean, dude, there we go. Um and that brings us, I mean, there is more to say between that moment and baptism of Christ again, but let's just jump straight there. Because one of the, uh, okay, well, the big thing we need to talk about in between was the crossing of the, the Jordan, right? The, the whole, um, 
uh, entrance uh, into into the land again very maybe stretched and elongated leading to the davidic you know sort of conquering of of, of the chaos and eventually them kicking out the canaanites and finally yeah. driving out the the people and elijah and elisha yeah oh they man cross over the jordan and then elisha comes back through the jordan totally so the, you got all this activity through the jordan and it eventually leads to the Sol- solomon temple you know and um but you know it, the whole thing there is, of course, it, it's it's anticipating why the Jordan River, you know, with Jesus. Why the Jordan River with John? Well, what's going on? Why why would John preach what he preached at the Jordan? You know, of all places, was that just random? Was that just because he needed some water, um, or was that because yeah. there was something deeply and um, profoundly fulfilling of of or you know anticip- anticipating of that fulfillment? And so uh, he argues that, and and you know, you've recently uh, uncovered a. Uh, paper from one of your old professors, John Runnings, was it? Or yeah, John uh, Professor John Running. Uh, John Running, yeah. So I mean, that was great because he's just exploring this idea, you know, um, big time, where he's just he's you know, all about the the creation redemption redemption typology. Right, exactly. I mean, it's basically this chapter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> someone plagiarized. I, 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 someone. Thought of, I thought of throwing it in, but we'll save it for a separate one if we get to it. Totally. Yeah. Well, yeah. anyway, so, but, but he makes a big deal of why the Jordan River and uh, the Jordan is so profoundly, uh, the Jordan, you know, is an obvious parallel to the Red Sea, the crossing of the Jordan, you know, and even the way they're met by the pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ as the angel, you know, who meets Joshua uh, and is dressed for war. And then, you you know, you're going into the land and, uh, you know, <laughs> Joshua means Jesus for crying out loud, you know, and they slay the, the Canaanites. It's like a new creation event. I mean, it's it's yeah. basically the, the, the parousia. And, um, and, you know, as I said, sort of draws out um, through this whole long process, Solomon and that fading, and then the, the 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 rebuilding of the temple, and that you know not being the full thing, and anticipating and bringing the whole thing to a kind of frenzy by the time Jesus comes uh, on the yep. scene, because they're waiting for the temple, they're waiting for the Davidic son, they're waiting for the um, the true uh, entrance into the land at that level, you know. So um, this is John's ministry. Yeah. So I mean, the Jordan. So the Jordan is sort of the. Uh... We're at this new place. And so all those Old Testament themes of a new exodus, a new return, uh, a return from exile, the servant of the Lord leading each, uh, leading Israel back into the land. Um, the, the coming era of the outpouring of the spirit, the, the, the year of Jubilee, um, the year of the Lord's favor. So the Jordan indicates that we're now on the brink of this newness that's, that's about a break. And then, of course, that leads to the baptism of Christ. Yeah. Well, I just want to read this little section. He says, um, it appears that John was reenacting Israel's post-Exodus entry to the promised land. So I, I love, yeah, I think that that's a great way to phrase it. However, given Israel's sinfulness, he was calling the nation to repentance. So it's just like a reenactment with the problem in view, you know? It, yeah. it just brings his whole ministry into central focus. Israel needed to prepare for the second or eschatological exodus that would come by the ministry of Christ. You know, so, I mean, that's what they're waiting for. There they are. And yeah, the baptism of Christ is the next big thing. Well, it's the culmination. You know, it's not just the next big thing. It's it's yeah. the thing, you know? It's not it's a... All we- being- gathering for this yeah it's not like a weird little moment in the bible where you just kind of brush over it it's the thing it's 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 the thing that points to i mean obviously the the cross is the thing but this is as close as you can get to explaining the cross you know um just as circumcision was made with one person in mind baptism was made with one person in mind amen yeah wow (laughs) 
<laughs> for sure. Uh, he says the, so, uh, the baptism yeah, of Christ is one of the key culminations of redemptive history. And then just quickly to to just link it up with these uh, graphs that he does again. You've got in the, in the first atom. Um, the the whole um, idea of chaos again darkness over the face of the deep waters prevailed on the earth in, in the flood event um, uh, you have the, the 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 wind and the you know the exodus causing the 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 the, the red cedar part um, and so now of course you've got you're anticipating something about that same parting of the sea same wind same spirit you know you're ready for that if there's going to be some sort of eschatological exodus moment that's got to have you know we're waiting for something like that to happen um i love how he phrases it in terms of you know you have waters then you have the dividing of the waters after the dividing of the waters out comes god's son i know wow (laughs) what a great picture i know and even just the way that the, the you know god um you know speaks from the sky you know and and the way that this the the, the skies essentially the divide <laughs> it's just it's just so profound because you know it's i'm listening i'm sort of thinking of of so i'm listening to um if anyone's interested this um lecture series that greg bill uh he's it's on westminster seminary's um little podcast thing but you know it's it's, it's his um I think it's basically his New Testament biblical theology book that he's kind of lecturing through. Um, but, you know, one of the things he majors on, of course, is eschatology. And what, what he wants to bring into the picture so much is that he, he shows that whenever you see this cataclysmic language, you know, we often think of the end, the end. But it always gets used to describe, you know, little historical preludes to the end or intrusions of that end are also described in the way that the end is described, right? So it's using cataclysmic language all the time. And he goes, what, what is more cataclysmic, you know, in terms of the end days and stuff? Obviously, we see it at Pentecost and Joel and whatnot. But even, yeah, I mean, when Jesus gets baptized, when the cross happens, when God dies... So to, you speak. Know, uh, so to speak, but well, you know, we can say that because of the communicatio idiomatum, you know, and oh. yeah, we can, we can, we can do it. Um, we can you have gone Lutheran. <laughs> well, you know, what is predicated on the one can be spoken of uh, in terms of the other in the person. That's of false, Christ. everybody. That's completely false. No, no, no. I think it's true. <laughs> God died in his humanity. In Christ. Ah, okay. There we but, go. But you can't say it. That's the whole point. The it's the whole point. It's the whole <laughs> the point of, of God. You've got yeah. to be able to say that. Otherwise, you, you can't say stuff like that. Bill said it too. So, you know, it's <laughs> well, me and Bill. Says that it's me and Bill against Bill. the world. I'm happy with that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but basically, um, you know, one of the things there is this, that if, if you think about this, this you know, what, what's happening right here, it's the end. You know, it is the end. It's the it's the beginning of the new creation. As Fesco rightly points out and brings out very well, you're seeing a dawning of something eschatological. You know, it is literally the totally. end that's intruding and just. I mean, you've got John and you got Jesus, the Old Testament and the New. Oh man, it's so good. Overlapping. Yeah. So here we are. I mean, we're not waiting for the end. The end has dawned. You know, it's it, yeah. the end is is in play, 100%. We're literally just going in with recovery troops, trying to you know uh, to stay stay alive until till that final moment. But um, it's done, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's it's a Amen. it's a great great thought, right there. Yeah. So I mean, he what he does is he is, is that the place where he's got that graph where he just um, draws parallels between all the various events. Yep. Uh, yeah. I think he's got one more after this, but yeah, one of them. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So Genesis one to three, the flood, the crossing of the Red Sea, and Christ's baptism. 
And he just pulls together how all of these events lead up to Christ. You got Christ arising from the waters as the new creation of God, Christ being called the son of God, like Adam. The main difference, of course, being Christ obedient, where Adam failed. Mm -hmm. um, you've got Christ being led into the wilderness to be tested like Israel, the son of God. You've got the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters mm -hmm. as in creation, mm -hmm. like a dove the, over the, the flood, metaphor. like the ark yeah. over the Jordan, uh -huh. and now the Spirit over Christ. Yeah. Um, this marking the year of Jubilee, this marking the year of the Lord's favor. It's just, it's all coming to this climactic crescendo. At this point. Did I mention, you know, one of the things with the ark, I don't know if Fesco does this, but Klein does a great thing with the ark, you know, there it is. It's a kind of microcosm of the new creation. And the reason for that is because, you know, all of creation is subdued by man and represented there by Noah, who is, you know, really, if you think about Adam and the dominion mandate, it's happening in the ark, you know, it's, it's, he is, all of creation is subdued by this man. So you've got this new creation nice. representation floating upon the water. <laughs> if you think about what the glory spirit is, that is exactly what, what the whole idea is with the spirit upon the waters. It's the waiting A of the man new creation. rescuing creation through the judgment. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. And, and he's doing so, you know, there's more to say, I mean, but, 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 you know, with uh, Noah as well, just the, along with Abraham and David, you've got these amazing, you know, um, ways of bringing out how Christ is the one that's going to do it all. You know, it's because of his obedience that something is built as a safe haven, you know, a, a new creation refuge through which to move through the waters of, of judgment into the new creation. It's just, it's, it's amazing. Stuff like this makes me a Christian, you know, and, uh, and keeps <laughs> me a Christian. Yeah. It's the it's, unity, the unity of scripture. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You can't fake it. You know, it's, it's, it's one author over it all. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, so one of the things then he gets into is, of course, you know, obviously Jesus's baptism is massive and then it preludes the cross and the resurrection. But then it gets applied, I suppose we could say, in this final kind of redemptive historical moment in the in Pentecost, you know, which is which is not I mean, it's probably it's I don't know, sometimes I always want I feel like I want to say, well, that's really the culminative event, because that's really where the, 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 the temple starts getting built. But really, I think it is right to say it, it's, it's when Jesus, you know, goes through that. And then really you almost have a kind of echo of that culminative event in what happens as he builds the temple um, in, in Acts and Pentecost. But I think it's a, a right thing to talk about in terms of what, what, what does water and the spirit mean, you know, uh, when we've got to be enter the kingdom by water and the spirit and how does that play? Yeah. To, to this whole idea with baptism. We are thinking about baptism, after all. One of the big explanations there has been you have to be baptized, you know, and born again. Um, you know, how does that play in? And it, it was quite interesting, his approach. What did you think? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, we've, we've changed talking about baptism of, of uh, Christ to baptism of the church. Yeah. And looking at Christ and Nicodemus, you must be born of water and spirit. Uh, Fesco lists some of the options and then puts his option forward. So uh, what does water and spirit mean? Um, does it mean natural birth and spiritual birth? You know, water, amniotic fluid versus yeah. birth by the spirit. And I even heard someone say this week, you know, that some people have actually drunk the amniotic fluid for some reason. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, take that thought out of your head. Uh, some people have thought, you know, being born of water and spirit is you need both John's baptism and Jesus' mm -hmm. baptism. And um, I, I like where he goes with it. Um, I like the way he, he took in, you know, the Ezekiel's. I usually go to Ezekiel and, you know, those. Yeah, those, I go straight to Ezekiel. Right. He sort of took a way I around know, to I, Ezekiel. I really like that because it's well, he it as well. brought in the new creation 
theme in Ezekiel. You know, it just sharpened that that point for me. I've, yeah, exactly. I just felt myself going, oh my goodness, I've been saying this the whole time, but I don't think I've ever realized what I've been saying, you know, exactly. because, um, yeah, that's so profound. I mean, this is, uh, you know, and it does relate to those things we were talking about by way of um, uh, synecdoche and, you know, like the baptism. Yes. We're talking about a spiritual reality, ultimately, and baptism will point to that spiritual reality and speak of our regenerate uh, uh, moments or what happens to us in regeneration. Yeah. So water and spirit is, is prophetic shorthand for new creation. Yeah, exactly. But baptism features as that the pointer to that very thing you know so yes. so but it's not like we're wrong to say that baptism is in view there by water and the spirit you know yes. but it's just not directly in view as that primary moment but i just th th thought that is a really helpful way to bring it all together yeah and so he develops it this way and i think his steps are pretty helpful he says look god begets sons through water and spirit mm -hmm. so the waters of creation and spirit adam mm -hmm. the waters of the flood and spirit Noah. the waters of the red sea and spirit israel john's baptism in the spirit jesus and then we participate in the same new creation moment represented by this by water and spirit mm -hmm. in our participation in christ which is symbolized in baptism beautiful beautiful <laughs> and baptism's right there just the way where we always think about it but it's just to put it in that bigger framework yeah. just it all makes so much sense so, so i've got a quote where he links it then to ezekiel he says then then in the prophets water and spirit are linked and especially in ezekiel and he writes this in light of this data and the redemptive historical backdrop, when Christ tells Nicodemus that one must be born of water and the spirit, he is saying that a person must be part of the new creation in order to enter the kingdom of God. Hmm. In this sense, to be born of water and the spirit points to baptism. Hmm. Not that the waters of baptism accomplish the begetting, hmm. not ex opera operato, mm -hmm. but that they point to the life-giving work of the Spirit, mm. the power of the age to come, the one who applies the work of Christ to the individual and cleanses the sinner of his unrighteousness. In this way, then, one must be born of water in the Spirit. Yeah, great. So there was this, this um, moment where I thought he might have been leaving a door open for something, something that's coming later, where he speaks about... Um, I can't remember exactly what the context was, but he was basically saying, you know, you don't want to go too individual with this whole thing. You want to speak about it more as the kind of, not the order, but the, you know, I think oh, when he well, was dealing with... I'll come to that at the end. I thought that uh, that was that was the Titus 3, verse 5 to 6. Yeah, yeah, okay, that was it. So yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll hold on to that. Right, so cool, let's, cool. let's move from, you know, the, the spirit being given to the church. Let's go to Pentecost. Mm. And uh, what, what Fesco does here, and this is where I might want to give some pushback on Fesco. Okay. Because he develops John's baptism in a way that I think suits his case but not mine mm -hmm. so i want to give some pushback right, right. so fesco views john's baptism baptism as a type of christ and he says that christ did not baptize only his disciples did because he was going to baptize later by the spirit yeah and so i've i've got different thoughts on that um i disagree and here's here's something i want to put out there i'll float it with you first mm -hmm. so you know and what we're doing here is we're reversing roles. He is wanting to stress discontinuity and I'm wanting to stress continuity. So mm -hmm. we're, fl we're flipping out. We're borrowing from each other's tactics here. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, he wants to say that there's a discontinuity between John's baptism and Jesus' baptism. Jesus didn't baptize because it was an administration of John's baptism. Mm -hmm. Jesus only starts baptizing here. And so I assume that he would see the institution of New Testament baptism starting at the Great Commission. Okay, right, right. Jesus yeah, what you were saying the other day. Yeah. Uh, disciples to baptize in, during, during his ministry. Mm. 
Now, I, I've already said that I see Jesus authorizing his apostles to baptize and going alongside John, showing that these things are in harmony with one another. Mm. That there's a, because of this overlap stage where John, John the Baptist is, he's a bridging person. Mm -hmm. There's not this neat, it all comes to an end here and then it starts here. There's, a, there's, a, there's an overlapping of John and Jesus and the New Testament. And, and I think to establish that overlapping idea, here are two other things that I think are important. Jesus establishes the 12 apostles mm -hmm. as, the, as the new Israel of God, mm -hmm. the 12 tribes. Not only that, these, these 12 apostles are also the foundation stones of the new temple of God. Mm -hmm. Why could it not be then if you've got the new foundation for the new people of God and the new foundation for the new temple of God, this new initiation baptism into the people of God, tracking at the same time during the actual ministry of Christ. We don't have to wait till Pentecost right. for some of these administrative aspects of the new covenant to be put in place. Mm. Mm. And, and that one, no, one thing on top of that, one thing on top of that. Yep. So Jesus during his ministry uh, in the first century was not, it was primarily to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Mm -hmm. And so the gospel came to the Jews first, but also to the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. And so what you have is this, I guess it's a, a proto great commission, but is Israel sure. only ish. Yeah. And so there's a continuity. There's a, so you, you start with the Jews and you go into the new Testament mm -hmm. into the, the great commission era, mm. but it starts further back. It doesn't just start at Pentecost. So I'm seeing more continuity between the era of the, the gospels going into the church. So am I right in thinking that, that he wants to, I mean, well, perhaps one of the benefits of saying that it starts in the great commission uh, you know, this official sort of uh, baptism that the church brings is that it's going to lessen this call, the, the severity of John's call to repentance and absolutely no, uh, you know, children allowed sort of thing. So it'll, yeah. it'll, it'll make John's baptism irrelevant. It'll be redemptive historical insignificance. It'll be Jewish only in significance. Mm. It won't be paradigmatic and we won't. So, so I, I view John's baptism as, you know, you've got, the kingdom is coming. Mm -hmm. So all three, are, you got three kingdom baptisms. Mm. You got John's baptism. The kingdom is coming. Get repent and be baptized. Mm -hmm. Jesus says the king is here. Repent and be baptized. Mm -hmm. Peter says the kingdom is already, but not yet. Repent and be baptized. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the kingdom has never fully arrived. Mm -hmm. It's all, it's all in relation to an, a not fully realized kingdom, mm -hmm. whether it's to come, whether it's proleptically realized mm -hmm. in Christ, mm -hmm. although it's already not yet. Yeah. Yeah, no, amen. I agree 100%. So that's how I understand yeah, totally. it. So that's, that's my pushback. Now, I don't think, because um, I was thinking about that when um, when I read it through, because he says that John's Baptist, uh, sorry, in John the Baptist's description of his ministry, he spe specifically states that it was a ministry of water baptism, but that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit. So he says, in this way, John's ministry was typical of the anti-typical ministry of Christ. So it's kind of getting at what you're getting at there. But but now, the thing is, I, I suppose, I, I, I don't see any... I mean, definitely that could be made to to say, you know, what you're saying. Well, types fall away. Right, so, types fall away, exactly. But, it, you know, it's really what you're dealing with is a historical sequence more than the actual baptism itself because, you know, all baptisms point to what Jesus did in the spirit baptism, you know. So you can't... Like all those water events. Right. Yeah. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's true that it might have pointed forward in the fact that the Pentecost hadn't happened yet, you know, or regenerate. Well, regeneration had happened, but, um, you know, that redemptive historical reality hadn't happened yet. And so, um, you know, I think one way or another, 
even if you did make it a type that faded or you know the substance of what john was doing there has to stay you know there, there yeah. must you know just to your point there and that there, there must be this ongoing continuity and it's not a radical shift between circumcision and baptism it's baptism and baptism. exactly yeah exactly and it's <laughs> baptism about the coming the, the the reality of of the kingdom now having come it's just uh it's the baptism of the new creation i mean you can't you can, there's only so much you can make that fade <laughs> You know, yeah. once once this whole thing is starting to happen, um, so yeah, I don't know. So, so just to say again, we switched roles. So Fesco at this point is arguing discontinuity like a good Baptist. <laughs> right. We're arguing continuity like a good Peter. Interesting. Interesting. So. <laughs> it's like the twilight zone. We're borrowing each other's tools. We need your ringtone to go now. We're. <laughs> <laughs> um, so okay, that's that's good. Um, yeah. So then, uh, just carrying on at the spirit. Yeah. Uh, John twenty verse twenty two comes in. You know, when Jesus breathes on the apostles and says, "Receive the Holy Spirit." Yeah. And what he's what he's trying to point out here is that those who receive the Spirit of Pentecost also receive water baptism, showing that water baptism and spirit baptism are all related. Mm-hmm in uh, new new creation symbolism for sure so. yeah absolutely and that i mean there again you've got jesus anticipating what happens at at pentecost symbolizing and pointing forward to it but doing that that way to show that he is god who breathes he creates adam Amen. you know he's the one the argument for deity yeah i mean 100 <laughs> he's he's you know why prelude it that way to show that when it happens this is the new creation it's just like the first one you know and uh jesus is the one who recreates so you know just uh, all sorts of amazing moments there as well but then of course pentecost uh, which and then you know it's worth talking about joel's prophecy as well because you know it, it again that that eschatological language is now Spirit being poured out on all flesh in place yeah it's it, so for me that's important because it's hard you know just jumping ahead to the infant baptist issue because you know anticipating that they'll they'll have to sort of create a, a category of continuity uh, in light of the, the the covenant of grace and its externality and uh you know just being able to despite all these things still being able to sort of hold on to some of the way it was administered prior to this point but for me the the struggle has always been that you know even if there is a warning that needs to be taken on board that we must not over realize our, our eschatology and you know think that we're in heaven and all that sort of thing um which i, I think is 100 percent true you know this sort of language and the realities that we're talking about now mean that at least by way of administration you have to administer as if the thing has has begun. you know begun yeah i mean so it's not administering <laughs> as if there is no sin or as if there is no um you know uh, false profession but there is just a change a significant change now whatever is on earth reflects that which is in heaven Amen. in ways that it didn't before so you know maybe yeah, just I mean, to point that out as we go through um uh that stage um yeah then the last the last point on this chapter is paul and baptism yes and of course he you know looking at baptism as new creation and paul saying that we are a new creation in christ 2 corinthians five seventeen, mm. and then he pulls in two key texts from paul uh romans 6 verse 1 to 4 oh man just before we go there yeah i just wanted to quote this because this is crazy uh he's quoting bruce uh was it F.F. Bruce? Yeah. It was. Yep. So Bruce. Um, the baptism of the Spirit. Um, uh, sorry, I've lost my place here. The baptism of this the Spirit. On, on Pentecost, yeah. Yeah, it was our Lord's prerogative to, be, uh, to bestow. It was, strictly speaking, something that took place once for all on the day of Pentecost when he poured out the promised gift 
on his disciples and thus constituted them to the people of God in the new age. Baptism in water continued to be a visible sign by which those who believed the gospel, repented of their sins, and acknowledged Jesus as Lord were publicly incorporated into the Spirit-baptized fellowship of the new people of God. That administration I was talking about a second ago, there it is. I mean, that's that's how it's got to be administered. You know, even if it, even if there's something mixed about the reality, still there's the administration. Surely, you know, surely. I mean, it feels like such a no-brainer. Into reality, yeah, imperfect reality, but not tight. And he he affirms that, you know. So <laughs> whatever's coming has to has to have quite a amazing ability to get out of this, you know. So yeah. it's kind of it's, wasn't wasn't Bruce a, a brethren? I mean, oh, I don't he's, know. He's, he's not. I don't. I don't think brethren was Peter Baptist. No, no. But I, I stand to be correct. <laughs> but even Fesco here says those marked by water and spirit baptism are, are therefore part of the eschatological humanity, the new creation, the new heaven and earth, as Paul says. Amen. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So it's, I mean, citizenship of heaven, man. Yeah, here it is. My baptism speaks. My passport. Seriously, yeah. So you know, I, I would, I suppose I'm setting it up like this is a very exciting drama that's unfolding over here by way of <laughs> redemption and also by way of a Presbyterian argument because, dude, I mean that's speaking some serious Baptist language right there, yeah. and um, you know, but he does say next chapter is going to be all about the judgment <laughs> and, all, and so you kind of know what, what he's going to do with that but but we'll, no, we just say jesus took the judgment amen. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that critique for the next chapter amen um all right paul sorry i cut a few yeah. i cut your point no, no, all good yep. so romans 6 1 to 4 yeah and here he just alludes to uh, in particular verse 4 that we are raised in baptism into newness of life mm. so again looking at yep. baptism and new creation yeah. And uh, of course, there's a great argument here for why all Christians should be holy related to that newness mm -hmm. and power for sanctification. Mm -hmm. And then we come to that interesting one, Titus 3, verse 5 to 6. And I appreciated what he said here. Okay. I know that you, you spoke about uh, the corporate question mark, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. I, I've, I mean, I've always spent a lot of time in the auto salutis and I always thought, okay, the auto salutis is a theological construction and Paul's not playing with my category. Mm -hmm. So I can't impose them on him at this point. Mm -hmm. And uh, it talks about the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And uh, um, he says that this is speaking of baptism in the Spirit as it connects to the Old Testament imagery as he's developed them. Mm. And uh, it's not related to the auto salutis, but rather it's pointing to redemptive historical realities. It's shorthand for new creation realities, not distinct auto benefits. And let me tell you why I think that's helpful. Mm -hmm. But just stop and think in terms of auto salutis and think, okay, washing of regeneration. Mm -hmm. So you've got a forensic category, washing. Mm -hmm. and you've got a transformative category, regeneration, mm -hmm. and you've got them smudged. Mm -hmm. right. Oh, this is not a neat order. Yeah. I don't like it. Got it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like, so, and, and then you've got, okay, so you've got washing of regeneration, which seems to confuse two, two theological categories. Then you've got the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Is that, is that a distinct event to the regeneration? <laughs> one or is that the two ways of talking about the same event so you can see how you know bring this to the order it and, and and look people have made it work they've made it fit they've they've just said look we can't take our categories to paul we got to allow him to be his own man mm -hmm. but if this is in fact just talking in prophetic shorthand of new creation realities water and spirit language so washing a regeneration there's water renewing of the holy spirit there's spirit water and spirit boom done redemptive histor yeah. historical language for for new creation Beautiful. so i quite liked it i thought it was helpful yeah no and all of that's true anyway you know and so 
I wouldn't want to take away from that point in any way, but, you know, I, and I might be wrong, but I think one of my little radars goes up here in that, you know, you often talk about the, when you think about Jeremiah 31 and the new covenant and it's unbreakable. And one of the pushbacks there is that that's uh, unbreakable in terms of that corporate history, uh, you know, the, the redemptive historical reality, you know, the, the covenant can't fail yeah. At that greater corporate level, I suppose. Yeah, I didn't pick up on that at all. Right. So you, you tell me more about that. Well, well, I just, um, you know, it might be completely off, but I think, um, you know, one of the things that um, we go to to see this stuff the way that we do is Jeremiah 31. Applied. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so each one of them will know me. Exactly. And so, and so when, when, and the, it seems that the force of that is that the whole deal with the, the new covenant when it comes, you know, is that you won't have anyone um, turn away from the Lord if they are, in fact, in that new covenant. So their only way to get a, around that is by saying that uh, it's not saying that. It's just saying that the, the, the church itself won't go apostate as Israel, as a corporate, you know, nation went apostate. Yeah, so the, the old covenant itself had <laughs> failed and was broken, you know. So, yeah. Israel's and, a type of the church. Stop. Exactly. But, you know, what you said and what I'm saying is not, are not incompatible. And I think you can affirm no, they're both. They're not incompatible. So it's I just, just appreciated a, where he was coming yeah, from. Yeah, and it's just a radar thing. So anyway, we'll talk more about that. I just realized I left the, the battery charger thing out of my um, computer. So we've got exactly 11% on this guy. I better get... Okay, we better well, say we're goodbye. nearly done. That Conclusion. Yeah. Conclusion. All of these things that, you know, mm. he's been saying from all, all the areas of Scripture all point to the waters of baptism as the waters of new creation. Mm-hmm. And by this view, the waters of baptism are not magical. So no Catholic views. He also says they are not instruments, that the water of baptism is not an instrument that affects the church's birth and entry into the eschaton. Rather, they point to Christ pouring out the spirit on his people, making a new creation. So he's even putting distance between probably the more Lutheran aspects, mm, mm. where the water and spirit, you know, the washing of the water <laughs> with word stuff going on. Yeah. And he's, he's, he, he deliberately uses point, you know, sign language. Mm, mm. Um, and it's, it's signing Christ pouring out his spirit on his people, making a new creation. And this is what baptism speaks about. Beautiful. China Love it. Love Excellent. It. And, and, and I, would, I, w- I want to agree with Besco and say Baptists have historically been weak yeah, on this aspect. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. So this, is, this is valuable stuff. That's why you got to be a Reformed Baptist. <laughs> you got to be a Kleinian. Yeah. Ooh, come on. <laughs> All right. Cool. Now, just so we don't lose this whole episode. Let's uh, leave it at that so I can actually save the episode so that we, you know, say goodbye and all that. Uh, thanks for joining us. Till the next time.